We all want to believe in something, but how far will we go to find meaning? For the executive producer of Friday Night Lights, Hulu's new original drama series, The Path, takes audiences inside the mysterious world of a controversial cult-like movement. Starring Aaron Paul, Michelle Monaghan, and Hugh Dancy, and hailed by The Hollywood Reporter as impressive and riveting, The Path takes an in-depth look at the gravitational pull of belief and what it means to choose between the life we live and the life we want. The Path, now streaming, new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Hello, and welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizzo on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers of NT Travers on the Twitters. And happy uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones Hangover Day. Do we all have what is a Game of Thrones Hangover exactly? I don't know. I mean, there was that there was that news that um, I think it was in the UK that a, that a specific like a giant corporation gave their employees like a half day off today because of Game of Thrones. They're that, like, yeah, watch Game of Thrones and take a half day off. That's absurd. I agree. But I mean, it was there, there's something to the Game of Thrones hangover theory just based on that idea. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about Game of Thrones, uh, it, gentle listener, you will of course remember that uh, one of us really is in, on board with the show uh, in all of its forms, even 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 at its darkest moments. And one of us is, for some reason, not really into it. I don't know what it is. It's really sad. It's like it's just it's like sad, pointless. Aww. That's really sweet um, that you can't fight. I mean, how, how, how much does your ennui build up in you uh, when, you're, uh, when you're watching the show? I'm not even sure what that means. Is that like a French term? I, I'm not. Yeah, you've got to dumb it down a bit for me. I, I can't get to that level. I mean, it's like, I guess it's like an existential sort of sadness. Mm, I don't think it actually builds up when I'm watching. I think it builds up during the week, which is kind of why when you pitched that idea of, of writing an article for people who aren't that into Game of Thrones, I actually was like obviously a little too excited about it because I wrote way too many words about it. You wrote uh, an obscene amount of words about that topic. I, I know, and I'm very sorry, but I think that's what really triggers that kind of existential crisis of like, I'm watching the show, and as I'm watching it as a critic, I'm thinking, well, I don't feel like a lot is happening here. Like, There's some stuff that you can absolutely appreciate about the production design, some of the acting, and, and some of the aesthetics, I guess. But like on a deeper level, there's just not a lot there, um, unless they're doing something horribly offensive to women, which last night they did not, which was great. They did a good job. But, yeah, last night was a lot uh, of fun if, for the ladies. Like, you know, Sansa, Sansa, I mean, we should, do we want to do, do spoilers on this one, Ben? Uh, I mean, I'm I I got nothing. <laughs> I won't tell. I won't spoil anything, because while I watched it, I I don't I don't have a strong recollection of what's important or not. So actually, maybe I will spoil things. I don't know. I just might not be able to censor myself. Well, well, let's avoid spoilers, if only because the point of this discussion isn't to talk about just Game of Thrones. We also want to, we just kind of want to talk about the fact that you know, right now, according to the Emmys. HBO has the best comedy on television and also the best drama. And because the Emmys are never wrong, uh, this is just basic fact. Well, I mean, it, it, to, to state it plain and true as, as, as much as we can, the Emmys are as, de, de, as, as much of an authoritative body of, of people that TV can get. Like, they're the one. They're, they're, the, the, they're the Oscars. They're the, they're the ones who make these decisions. Um, obviously, Game of Thrones was not on our best of list last year. But uh, Veep obviously was, and because these two are both owned by the same company, they premiere on the same night, 
and because, I mean, they're both kind of starting different phases of their existence, um, it's important to ask the question, you know, are these still the best versions of themselves, let alone the best, you know, the best drama and the best comedy on TV? Right. And, I mean, the biggest criticism that people have mentioned about last night's episode is that it was a lot of, there wasn't, there aren't, like, we, I, you know, I asked legitimately if we should avoid spoilers in this, but there isn't a ton of stuff to spoil. There are a couple of big events, but nothing seismic. And that's because, like, you know, there's a lot of setup that needs to occur for the show because, uh, because as of, as, as, you know, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you already know this, the show has run out of book material published by George R. R. Martin. It's now basically telling its own version of the story without any sort of, pre-published inference. Right, yeah, it's it's kind of going off on its own, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of debate as the season continues over whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. I feel like most of the reaction I've seen, you know, on this Monday morning, you know, less than, well, no, more than 12 hours after it premiered, um, is is pretty positive. Most people think it's it's moving in the right direction, and while it is you know setting things up, sometimes that's what you got to do, and you know we'll see where it goes. So I mean, I don't know. I I thought it was okay. You, it, how would you grade it? What would your grade be? Um, I agreed with our with our body of critics, our critics panel that mm-hmm. we've uh, as, assembled for these Game of Thrones things. I'd probably go B minus, um, maybe a B, and I'd probably a B minus. Like I, I just I don't remember a lot from it. And it wasn't all that entertaining to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, you know, I could see, I can see where they're going with it and there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Uh, but me- me- meanwhile, what's your grade for Veep? Oh, what did I give last night's? Oh, I'm gonna, I think I gave it an A minus. I want to say I gave it an A minus, maybe an A. I think I gave it an A minus. I don't know. Uh, it's one of those two. It's one of those two grades. It was great. It was very, very good. Um, I focused a lot on that specific review about uh, the transition that they're making now where uh, the creator, the showrunner, the, uh, the, the man behind it all, Armando Iannucci, left last season. You know, his, that was his last season on the show. Um, it was very you know, frightening for a lot of people because uh, HBO moved pretty quickly to assure you that they weren't going to end it, like that his departure wasn't the end of the series, and that's good. But at the same time, you know, everybody worries about a show that's work that's operating at this high of a level. What's going to happen to it when you make such a big switch, especially in such a, a key department? And they went out and they got a great guy. They got David uh, Mendel. He's he worked on Seinfeld. He worked on Saturday Night Live. He's worked with Julia Dreyfus, obviously, for a long period of time. He did a little Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, he's he's very bright. He's very he knows exactly what he's doing with these pieces. I've seen the first uh, three episodes or four episodes already. Um, and he continues on with this kind of streak. There's no significant bumps in the road so far. Um, and that's just such a relief, especially after last night's episode, which as a standalone episode worked really, really well. Did you, did you get a chance to watch that? Yes, I did. Uh, it was, I think it was last week though. So it's, my memory's a little foggy on it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was like, if you had not told, if I did not know that it was a different showrunner, uh, I would not have noticed honestly right i I think that was one of the things that i said for you know like if you if you were just a casual fan tuning in for the new season i don't think you would have noticed a difference yeah i think and i think that's great uh what was i gonna say uh yeah i think uh yeah i think you know it's it 
the thing I really liked about Dave Vandell was that as soon as he, it, was, it was announced that he was taking over uh, the show, he was the first person to tweet that he was, he was going to ruin it. Which I, which is kind of self-deprecating humor that you want to see from the showrunner Aviv. Uh, so right, right from the beginning, he set himself up for for greatness. Yeah, and he really, I mean, it seems like he's doing a great job paying attention to the details of of what's going on as well. There are a couple of very specific lines of dialogue. Um, there are a couple of very specific just uh, just the means in which they they kind of go for the laugh, and then they add on another laugh at the end of it that makes you kind of just double take that worked really really well and honestly one of my favorite things about it was how he introduced the season like he starts with this you know big thing going on where uh where where selena's addressing the nation and she's trying to trying to calm people but also reassure them that she's their president and then like one by one you get a little introduction of each person like Mm. each cast member and they they all get their little moment to to step in before they're all together again and uh, it's just, it's really nice. It's a nice way to kick off the season, but then when you look at it from a different framework of, okay, this is kicking off a new era. This is this is post-Armando, and we don't know how long this is going to go for, but everybody involved seems to want to make it go on for a little bit of time, like keep it, you know, for the foreseeable future at least. So what's this phase going to look like? And it, it's off to a great start. That's great. Yeah, I mean... Uh... Yeah, there's some there's some there's some stuff I'm, I'm recalling now from the episode that I really did enjoy, um, and uh, most importantly, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, you know the game Exquisite Corpse, where you know you start a story and then you pass it to your friend, and that person takes what you've written and continues the story from their perspective. Uh, whenever you play that game, it always feels like there's a, it always feels like there's a moment where you know you can you, you know your friend you, the the person before you in the chain may have left you like some huge bombshell, but it bores you. So you're just like, eh, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going to, and they, you know, took care of that thing. And then you start telling the story you want to tell. And that's what was happened in this instance. Uh, the, the drama over whether or not uh, Selena is actually going to stay president is, seems like it's being set up to run the entire season as opposed to just like getting quickly resolved in the first episode and then moving on to Veep style hilarity. Yeah, and I was reading an interview just this morning with with uh, with the showrunner, the new showrunner, and he was talking about how that was kind of a I can't remember his exact phrasing, but kind of like a trap that he had to work his way out of. Like he like Armando left this big, you know, crazy cliffhanger at the end of season four, and then he literally just was gone. Like he just left, and this now you know David has to step in and figure out how to do this. And uh, the way he described working towards that really you know resonated in after watching that first episode because that's what it feels like. It doesn't feel like he's actually, you know, they're trapped or they're stuck in a corner or they don't know what to do next. They are working towards something, but they're taking their time. They're really laying down, you know, the groundwork to make sure that it's it's going to pay off in a bigger way than just saying, okay, yeah, well, uh, they, like they could have flipped that very easily and just said, oh, well, Nevada <coughs> was, we were wrong. That's actually Selena's. She won the vote. She's going to be president or done that with another state and then he won and she's back to beep or whatever. But, uh, instead, they're really, you know, they're really going after this, and again, it's it seems to be working pretty well. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of it, you've got Game of Thrones, which is which is doing the whole post books thing, and I think uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that, but at the same time, it's going to be a different experience for people who are watching it, especially people who you know love the books. There's a lot of those people out there. Yeah, and. 
I mean, I think I think the big thing is they've as this episode does point to them kind of losing the losing sight of the idea that this is meant to be like you know we are consuming this on a weekly basis. There should be like a complete a complete story told in every episode to some degree. Um, but it, which which always struck me as I was writing essentially a short synopsis of the episode. And my short synopsis basically consists of here's a character they did a thing. This character did a thing. <laughs> this character did a thing. Did any of those things connect together? Nope. And I liked every single thing that happened, which is why I gave it a pretty positive review when I wrote my own review. But yeah, it's a, it is it is it. I, I do kind of want to see how it all comes together. Yeah, I actually so just scanning Twitter last night. I think it was even before I watched it because you know the East Coast people got it before I did. Um, but they, they uh, our critic wire editor Sam Adams posted something that said. Game of Thrones premiere felt like 52 minutes of laying track plus one reveal, and then our new, our new, uh, our new film critic David Ehrlich, he stepped up and said, "So the first episode of every season, then." And they kind of go back and forth and mention, you know, how they've beaten the books. It's, it's, you know, they could mix it up a little if they wanted to, and then it's like, well, they've got it, you know, a setup for how they've made every season. It's going to be the same way. They're going to keep doing it in that way, and people will still respond to it because why would you, you know, why would you broke what, or why would you break what's already, you know, operating. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting kind of back and forth that you have because so many people are such huge fans of this. They're going to see every little detail and every little, you know, event as something huge, as something, you know, extraordinary. And it's going to be, you know, more, mean more to them than it is to us, especially now that the books are gone, I feel like. Um, but you know, for people who are just kind of watching television as a, as, as what it is, as, as just a narrative and judging that narrative, yeah, it's it's a little bit just of a setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there's I think I've, I've been seeing like some critical pushback. Uh, like I've, I've been been scanning the think pieces, if you will, and I've been seeing some of the people kind of make the point that uh, you know we episodic tell, tell, storytelling isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like just you know, TV shows, seasons of TV shows should not necessarily be novels. And, you know, there should be, like, distinct plot lines. You should be able to point to things and be like, this is the episode where this happens. Uh, and not just, like, a random moment, but, like, an actual, like, story is told. And uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, I think, does a really nice job of resisting, resisting the urge to go super serialized. That was, a, I think, a positive strength of the, first, of, of the second season and the first season. Like and I, it maybe it just comes down to having that that title of Kimmy gets a bike or t- uh, Kimmy rides a bike or Kimmy goes on a date or something like that and that which helps with that. Well, see, I don't, I don't know. I think there's a very, I think there's a blend of this, and that's what you need to strive for. There's there's absolutely a blend of something where you could title it as simply as Kimmy gets a bike, and Kimmy does get a bike, but it's set in such a it's set in the world of of you know, continuing forward of it being a serialized narrative that you can keep going with it. So you remember that as an episode, you remember those, that specific moment and, and then you keep going forward. I think Veep does this very well as well. I mean, last night's episode was very much about her learning what happened with Nevada. You had the side, you know, you had the B and the C stories of Mike trying to get his step counts. Um, you had Catherine making her movie and hiding in the background, which is just going to be one of the best things about this season where she's just kind of in the corner and they're never going to point her out. You just have to find her like a little Easter egg in every shot. Um, and then for me, honestly, the grinder is something that's doing it in just an, in, in 
just an incredible fashion, especially for broadcast TV where they demand a, a degree of episodic, you know, storytelling to go into every episode, obviously. Um, but they're really transitioning into something that's fully serialized. They've t- taken this this storyline where their dad is getting sued um, by one of his former clients, and they've drawn it out over this big, you know, long event. And what they do to kind of set up the episodic nature of each of each episode is that they start off with the opening of or a scene from The Grinder, the TV show within the show uh, called The Grinder, and uh, they use that as kind of a foreshadowing of what's going to come in this episode and then that episode becomes about that but then they're still moving forward to the next stuff like they're still progressing a larger narrative forward and i feel like what game of thrones last night lacked was that episodic nature that you're talking about it was just working on pushing things forward for the serialized aspect saying yeah yeah okay maybe maybe it wasn't that exciting of an episode but you know you're going to come back so what's it matter well and i think it speaks to like when you construct these shows like you know, there are tools that you have in place to help you focus and help you find your energy. And like, think like what you're talking about with the grinder cold opens, that's a really great example. Kimmy, Kimmy's episode titles, I think, also focus it to a degree. Uh, and I love it. But yeah, like Game of Thrones doesn't really have that engine. It kind of just, it's not, it, it's, it's completely beyond procedural at this point. That's what we're talking about, essentially, is the same sort of structure that makes procedural. So, you know, tricky to create in an interesting fashion but also you know very comforting and very 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 reliable sort of uh, storytelling stories well yeah and i mean this is how game of thrones has always been like i remember uh last year when we were making our list of best episodes and we caught a lot of flack i think for having hard home at number 25 or whatever but, wait, i didn't even want to have it on there yeah, so that was uh, one of one of those fights that uh, one of uh, what, many of our fights tend to revolve around our best of lists. Uh, but yeah, that one, that that one I had to fight for because we oh, had to have it on that list. No, we didn't. And I and this is again, <laughs> this is again the exact same argument that I'd make. There is nothing in that episode other than the big action scene at the end. It's a great scene. The 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 battle of Hardhome or whatever they want to officially call it is fantastic. Like that. The fight choreography, the 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 story design within that specific scene, where you know you you've got the the build up and then you've got the surprise and then the build up and then the actual like kind of like fighting and then he's got his personal battle and they move forward. It's great. It's incredibly well done. But that's maybe twenty minutes of the episode. It's not an episode. But it's not a, an hour. There's a lot of build up to that fight scene. It's not just the fight scene. Like you have to understand why it's a big deal and why it's important that they lose. No, but again, like the, that buildup isn't in the episode. That buildup's been like going on for the first three or four years of the show. Like it's been happening forever, and then you know you're finally getting into that that instance. So it is very exciting. But even as the fight scenes construction, what makes the scene so great is that it's a surprise. They're getting ready to leave. They're thinking about you know floating away on their boats, and just everybody's kind of casually getting in, and they're helping the old people get onto the boats, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, you don't have time anymore, you're screwed, and that's great. That works out really, really well. But as an episode of television, as a whole hour, it doesn't hold up. As for best scenes, yes, absolutely, it's one of the best scenes of last year. It's one of the best scenes in a very long time. Probably the best action sequence, I mean, ever filmed for television. Like it's incredible. Like it's really, really well done. But I, as an episode, I'm going to strike it one. That is easily the nicest thing I've ever heard you say about Game of Thrones. No, I do like action, Liz. I'm a big action guy. 
course. Uh, all action, no talk. Uh, if they get Stallone in the Game <laughs> of Thrones episode, I'm going to probably give it a pretty good Who review. Who would Sylvester Stallone play in Game of Thrones? How would I know, Liz? I don't know what he'd you... be fit for in that show. I would like to imagine nothing because I don't want him to be tarnished by something like that. But he would make a great – if they hired him on as a director, he'd make a great episode. I no, I'm still I'm, I'm going to be hung. But no, he has to be in it if he's going to direct an episode. I think that would probably be true. Yeah. You're the one who knows what, what it, Stallone's strengths and weaknesses. You've what you're the one who's written all the think pieces about him. What would Stallone's uh, ideal? But what storyline would he be in? Like, do you think he'd would he be like a, on the wall? I think Stallone. I think it would be easy to cast Stallone as somebody who was like the. Uh, the strong, silent type, like maybe a maybe a leader of some sorts that they stumble across and and need his help, and then he turns out to be this great warrior of old, and you get to see him have like one big fight, and he, he does great or whatever. But I think it would be better, honestly, to cast him as as somebody like a peasant who they just kind of stumble across, and then they discover this great backstory behind him because he's really good at playing, you know, the comeback, the surprise, the the the, the reluctant hero almost, like Rambo meets Rocky. Um, they could do a lot of good things with Sloan. He's got range, Liz. He's got range from here to Cancun. Oh, uh, and Cambodia. I and Cambodia. I forgot where they shot the, the, new, the, the new John uh, John Rambo. The new one? What? Well, the, Rambo? The, the, yeah, like the one that was like 2011 or something. Oh, no, that was... Um, or earlier. Oh. Why am I forgetting... Uh, I'll call, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Yeah, Just, we can we can keep going, but I'll think of it. Yeah, uh, but it was it was Burma. It was in Burma. It was in Burma. Okay, but <laughs> important issues for our Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> How did we end up? We were talking about Game of Thrones and Veep. Somehow we end up having this long rant about who Sylvester Stallone should play in Game of Thrones. I think it's an interesting question now. Why like, do people listen to this podcast? Like, you guys need to write in and tell us what's going on because this is just this has gone off the rails. Oh, this is hardly the worst we've done. Oh, actually, by the way, I'll take this moment to shout out to a, a Beryl, uh, who was a Tribeca volunteer, who told me told me on Twitter that she recognized me and was like, or recognized me and listened to the podcast. So hi, Beryl. See, we have uh-huh. we have people who listen to this podcast. Well, no, that's honestly that's that was that was one of my legitimate questions. I I didn't even necessarily mean that our uh, little you know little diversion there was terrible. It was it was that it was you know, unexpected, like where, why, like, I don't know, is that appealing to people? Are they just sitting here going, how can I fast forward through this part so they get back to the things that I thought they were going to be talking about? But, you know, I want to, but that said, like, I feel like this is triggering something interesting in the idea that Game of, like, the idea of Sylvester Stallone being in an episode of Game of Thrones is hilarious because the thing with Sylvester Stallone is, is he's a movie star. And this is not a cast full of movie stars. Uh, And it's always been very much like, an ensemble-driven show where, you know, that, I mean, I don't know, it hasn't, and it hasn't really seemed to create any stars out of it as well. Like, you know, forget the actor, the name of the actor who played Rob Stark, but beyond, uh, beyond being in, you know, the Prince Charming and Cinderella, like, I can't name anything he's done since leaving the show. Yeah, I mean, um, the Lannister... Actor, his first name is Nicholas. His Nicolai Coster Wagner, yeah. Yep, that guy. I mean, he was in that god awful Gods of Egypt movie that came out, um, and I feel like he's been in a, a couple of indies as well. So, like, they're, yeah. I'm sure they're getting some stuff. Honestly, Amelia Clark has done well. She got the Terminator part. Oh, that's uh, true. Amelia Clark is kind of, and she's always been kind of the breakout star of the show. 
right yeah 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 um but yeah it's a, it's an interesting question to kind of expand upon too it's like i i don't feel like they need a movie star obviously they're doing fine on their own and you know a face like stallone's would would obviously kind of throw a wrench in things i just i don't think it would necessarily fit that well it would be a great surprise for this one reluctant viewer sitting right here watching every week for for work um but i don't know if they need i don't know if they need to please me uh that much so yeah, I mean, we're going to be watching all season because I think the thing, and we're going to be, you know, you'll, 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 you'll tune in, you'll watch Game of Thrones for your for your meat and potatoes, and then you get the delightful dessert of Veep and uh, Silicon Valley. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm fascinated by that setup and how well it's worked for HBO over the years. Um, obviously, it's, 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 it's a great block of TV. I don't, I mean, obviously, you know my position. I would not Put Game of Thrones as the best thing on television, but it will be interesting to see if it loses its mantle come Emmys season. I mean, it's it's gonna be a big a big fight. I mean, it won last year, and I I mean, most critics thought that last year was one of the weaker seasons. So if it's still got that kind of buildup behind it, and you know that kind of fandom, and it's it's obviously won over a lot of the the TV Academy, it's gonna be a big force. So I mean, it, it very well could, unless something disastrous happens in season five when they stray from the books. And Veep will obviously be a big contender for for best comedy because I mean, come on, it's still it's still at least top five, like at least right up there with the elite. Here's I think like the it'll I think things will become very clear when the nominations come out. And I think the big thing I will be looking for that morning is how does Game of Thrones do against Mr. Robot? Because Mr. Robot is a huge show. Um, but it's a very different, very different, very new feeling show. And if if the Emmys embraces that with the nominations, I think it's gonna be a very interesting year. Yeah, I'll be I'll be pretty shocked. If Mr. Robot does substantial damage at the Emmys, like if it if it if it be, appears to be a threat to Game of Thrones, I would be I would be surprised. It definitely deserves to be, and the the campaign for it is going to be strong. Um, so obviously, a lot of things can change, but right now it does feel more like one of those Golden Globe favorites that gets a little bit looked over by the TV Academy for a year or two. Yep, we'll see. Uh, in the meantime, Ben, what's the best thing you watched last week? It's Veep, Liz. It's Veep, <laughs> obviously. Obviously. But, uh, but no, I, I'll expand a little bit. Um, Silicon Valley is one that, in 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 like the just the great positioning of of all three of these coming out, I feel like I see one of two articles, and I'm definitely guilty of this. I write a ton about Veep. I write as much as I can because I love it. It's my favorite comedy on TV. And then, you know, you got to write about Game of Thrones. you got to pay attention to Game of Thrones. And I feel like a lot of the discussion kind of revolves around those two things because Veep is the best comedy. Game of Thrones has this incredible fandom and, and is you know, obviously an award winner now. Um, but poor little Silicon Valley, it's, it's pulling in great ratings. It gets great reviews. It definitely gets coverage. Like, people are paying attention now. They know Silicon Valley is out there. Um, but... Yeah, like I mean, this this new season is great. I really love the trajectory they've put themselves on as well uh, in that first episode, as well as you know the following couple that I've seen. But um, but yeah, it's 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 really 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 good TV. I feel bad because it's positioned so close to Veep that I almost just kind of relegate it behind things on my priority list. Whereas if it was debuting at another time, it would be much higher up there. Um, but yeah, Silicon Valley, fantastic. I think obviously everybody's already watching it, but 
keep it up. Yeah, my parents live in Silicon Valley, and my dad refers to uh, refers to that show as a documentary. Yeah, I yeah, and honestly, their opening credits. Um, I don't know. I need to actually dig into this a little bit. I feel like they add a couple of things every once in a while. I feel like they're building on it a little bit. Oh, like this year, I noticed for the first time the the Uber blimp collide or the Lyft blimp colliding with the Uber blimp, and the Lyft blimp's like just a little bit smaller and a little bit weaker and drifting off to the Aww. side. It's like that. I I hadn't noticed it before. Maybe it's just so dense that I hadn't noticed it. But I they're great. They no, really get the, the biz. There's a, a tradition of uh, there's a tradition of uh, t certain TV shows changing, updating and changing their opening credits. It's something I've been meaning to. It's like a potential list idea because John mm -hmm. Oliver does it, BoJack Horseman does it. There are bunches of examples. Well, Veep does it too, honestly. Like every. Oh yeah, like, that's right. That's that's one that of the things that's changed. very subtle because you could easily just kind of let that fade out because the music's the same. It looks like the trajectory is the same, like you're following that same little bar. But uh, the examples and the headlines are different, so that's exciting. Oh, you know another show that does it is Game of Thrones. No, I don't think. I think it's that's the same. But um, Liz, tell us what was the best thing you watched last week? Well, it was quite. I've been. I've been here. I, the reason. So, general listener, you might you might have noticed that we're back to our old Skype recording ways, and that is because uh, I'm in New York right now, while Ben is still in LA, uh, and I'm heading home tonight. But we wanted to get this done today because you need this episode, clearly. You need to hear about Sylvester Stallone appearing on Game of Thrones when he hasn't been. There's no rumors. We are starting the rumor. We are starting the casting call. Like, you need to hear that today. I, I feel like, yeah, everyone, everyone tell your friends that you heard that Sylvester Stallone might be on Game of Thrones this season. Yeah, get that out there. If get I get some news there. reports about that, I'm going to be really excited. <laughs> I bet we can make this happen. Uh, pranks. Uh, but yes, uh, while, while, while here in New York, uh, I've attended the Tribeca Film Festival, uh, a bunch of stuff there in the TV section. And so on Saturday, I did the full, full run, all five parts of OJ Made in America. In, and that was an intense nine hours of my life. Uh, but it is an incredible documentary. And it's going to be really exciting to talk about it. Uh, when it when it comes out in June on e on ESPN, I think ABC is going to air the first part actually. Uh, and it's 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 a real. There's a lot to say about it. I'm trying. I'm working on something for hopefully publication tomorrow that uh, will dig into what the experience was like. But it was it was really impressive. How many intermissions did you get in that? We got two. We got two, two. twenty minute intermissions. So it was like so like the, they started at eleven. And they started, they started the first part at 11. They did first two parts. And then, so we were done around like two. And then, and then the break went longer than, it was supposed to be 20 minutes. I think it was actually about 30. And then there was another break after parts four, uh, three and four. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that is quite an experience to be, to yeah. be in there for that, especially and, with something with as intense and, and, relevant as, as that has become. Yeah, and I mean, the, there, it's, the thing about it is that the, the emphasis of the storytelling is, uh, the emphasis of the storytelling is really on, uh, what am I trying to say here? Uh, it, it, like, it, it's so much about setup and explaining why this, explaining a lot of the historical roots and a lot of the issues that led up to this insane moment of, of, of our society. Uh, reciting pop culture and so forth, and uh, like what 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 I'm saying is that uh, Nicole Brown Simpson is alive until like maybe halfway through. 
like this whole park. Wow. Like mm-hmm. it, it's 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 really interesting. That's uh, quite the change. Yeah, but Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, I'm really looking forward to the new season of Penny Dreadful. Um, oh. Starts on May 1st, starts on Sunday. I am just... Uh, Ava Green is just a miracle on that show. I, I can't even believe that she doesn't get, you know, just all of the awards all the time. Yeah. Um, I know there's a... I've, I've written about this before, too. There's, like, a little bit of a bias out there against the horror genre, which this is, you know, very much embracing, but from uh, uh, an artistic independent mindset uh, it's really creative and fun um but it's great i mean i i i need to catch up on season two so i'm i'm really ready for season three but that's again just something that i'm really excited to do because revisiting that show um when it comes up it's a it's a delight it's really really beautifully made and i know it's creator john logan who's had you know, a ton of success in the movies um he, this is his passion project like he's really really into it and you can tell when you watch it like you can see the love for these characters and and kind of the every little instance of it whether it's the art direction the literary references how he incorporates you know new characters into the show and, and how they bounce off each other it's really well done so i'm, I'm very much looking forward to that um but yeah liz what about you what's next for you uh next for me i, I will say i've i'm gonna try to actually watch penny dreadful it's a show of it's always been at the bottom of my pile but i need to move it up because i've you're you, you love it and i don't, well, I don't trust you uh, because you are a human monster. But yeah. uh, I, I, I did uh, get the hard sell on it from an old college friend who I do trust uh, yesterday. And so I need, to, I, need, I, I need to, you know, really sit down with that one at some point. Yeah, it's got, it's got references. You know, you, you check around, you know. Yeah. You'll see. Yeah, it's legit. But the next thing I'm looking forward to is we've received screeners for Maria Bamford's new Netflix okay. comedy, Lady Dynamite. And uh, this one is really intriguing because I, it's like, it's basically about, it's a very, it's a very personal story from Maria Bamford. It's basically her story of kind of dealing with depression and mental illness. Uh, and you know, it could be really great. It could go off the rails entirely. Mitch Hurwitz is involved and he's a great producer, uh, and there's some other great behind-the-scenes talent as well that I'm blanking on the names of. But anyways, Lady Dynamite's coming to Netflix in May. And so getting a jump on that is important. And also, I really think it could be good. Yeah, uh, they actually aired the first episode at a recent Netflix event for comedy hmm. uh, that our own Steve Green went to. And uh, he, I mean, he said it was a very, very unique show. Like, it was very much its own beast. Um, you could feel the the emphasis of of arrest development kind of around it of Mitch Hurwitz to be specific, uh-huh. um, but yeah, I mean it's it'll be exciting to kind of see how that one plays out. Yeah, uh, I, that's right. I'd forgotten I did that. But unique is I definitely is definitely what one word that I think will be used a lot for that one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can read all about stuff like that on IndieWire.com, where you can also find reviews, interviews, features uh, with people you like, and then. Hopefully, no one you hate, except for Ben, who we hate. Yeah, just me. Just, just a lot you. of you can you can send me all your hate. It's fine. I'm used to it. Liz gives it to me every day, so I've built up a tolerance. Um, but no, if you if you want to hear nothing but love and and give nothing but love back, make sure you listen to Screen Talk with our own Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. Um, terrific film stuff going around right now. We're really getting close to Cannes. Um, there's there's uh, Tribeca obviously going on right now, which has had a lot of 
interesting movies debut that I'm, I'm very curious to hear some more about that Eddie Murphy movie that just debuted, um, as well as a lot of TV coverage, which Liz is on top of an IndieWire. And really quickly, before I forget again, I, I do want to uh, reemphasize that we are doing a very special project this, uh, this Game of Thrones season, in which we have these really great, these four great uh, critics with uh, very you know, different backgrounds coming in to provide all these you know, different opinions and voices uh, and reactions to each episode, and uh, it's it's not super long. They're they're going to give you, you know, the 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 meat of their argument pretty quickly. You can kind of you know parse through as you go throughout the season, but it's really exciting stuff. It's really I'm I'm very glad about how it's coming together. Um, so make sure you check out IndieWire.com on Sunday nights for that. Yeah, I was uh, I was very happy that when we, we we did a little questionnaire with all of them at, like last Friday, and it was kind of like the first test of how this was going to work. And I was a little nervous that like everyone would like everyone would say the same, they had the same favorite character, and nobody had the same answers to any of the questions. They all had different perspectives, and I was so grateful for that. Yeah, so they're, they're they're a great group good. of critics, and so it's very exciting to have them on board. Absolutely. Um, and you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers if you care to do such a thing. And if, and if you, you want to find Liz on Twitter, which obviously you do if you haven't yet, uh, she's at Lizlet, and that's with an I and an E. That's correct. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television. <laughs>